Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, we're so grateful, so grateful that we can come this morning to worship you, to adore you, to come, oh God, collectively and to say thank you for all that you have meant and done. You're a good, loving Father. Your mercy endureth forever. Your love, oh God, has proven amazing love because of the cross in which you send Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, through him, by him, and because of him. We have access to you, O God, that we know you, though you are all that eternal, the almighty, the unchanging God. Through Christ, you are our Father, and we have access to the throne room of grace. So we come this morning to adore you and to thank you and to bless you and we come, O oh God, to lift up our hands in worship and praise and prayers. May this, O oh God, be the incense that comes up to you. May it be well-pleasing. Reach out and touch lives today, those that are here and those that are watching. They would truly be blessed. They would truly, O oh God, find your grace and your mercy. And Father, that if they have never committed their life to you, Lord, through Christ they would today. Bring deliverance and healing. Bring, O oh God, needs met according to your riches and glory and touch lives today. Take charge, Holy Spirit. We come and seek your grace. Thank you, Father. In and through, because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's people said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a clap. offering. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Welcome, welcome, welcome once again. You may be seated. What a privilege it is to come this morning, and for those that are welcome to many, I saw so many at the 8 o'clock service that have come back after the pandemic, and I see a few others that have come in at the 10.30 service, and we're so glad that you are with us this morning. Welcome once again to those that are being here and those that are come back after a long wait. Thank you so very much. And for those that are watching Welcome to you as well, whether it is right now or whether any part of the day or time, and just know that the presence of the Lord is so real. We want to take this moment to give thanks to God. We're talking about the five senses. We've been doing actually a couple of things, and not only in terms of the physical and the solical, but we're actually majoring on the spiritual. We talked about the last time seeing and then hearing, and then during the communion we talked about touching and today I want to do about smelling. That's so important. And I want you to understand that a component of that would be physical, that we can smell. We all have that uh, smell like taste buds. And so it's important that many people don't realize until we lose it how valuable these senses are. But I want you to understand, I empathize people who may not have all of the five senses functioning, but I really cannot empathize with Christians who do not have their spiritual senses. It needs to be exercised. It needs to be uh, used in the spiritual kingdom. The way you be able to see in the spirit or see spiritually or hear what the spirit says or even feel touched by the Lord, the Holy Spirit, and to be able to know him, love him, and to be able to smell the things of the Holy Spirit. I know I'm going to touch on something that some people say, is there a God that smells? Absolutely. And I want you to know that something more, that you are able to exhibit and diffuse the fragrance of our Lord. For my subject this morning, the beginning text is from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. It is very powerful. It's talking about the fragrance of our Lord. And it simply says, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given, had given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour or fragrance or aroma. So he becomes the ultimate fragrance that is accepted by God, the ultimate of all that was in the Old Testament. I'll speak about it 
in just a few moments. But all of the Old Testament just pointed to in what they saw, whether it be the tabernacle or whether the colors in the tabernacle or whether it be the articles in the tabernacle, priest or even the very many sacrifices, all of them point literally to Christ. So in that sense, we do need to see spiritually, not in that physical sense. In the same way, everything that we find in the Old Testament, that you find the laws and the prophets speak to us of Christ and maybe hear what the Spirit says concerning our Lord. The Father said, this is my beloved Son, hear you Him. And we also realize that which we touched, that our hands are handled of the word of life, that John the beloved talks about the Lord Jesus. And I want you to understand, the Apostle Paul never got to touch him physically, and yet he did in the Spirit, as he did in the Spirit seeing and hearing, and that is having his senses exercised in the spiritual. In terms of smelling, I want you to understand how important it is because we must come to a realization that is a very important component even of our present day. In fact, uh, realtors will tell you that if you have a house, no matter how modern, how beautiful, how big, they tell you you need to not only fill that empty house with some furnitures, but you also need to keep a coffee burning, a little bit of a a smell of something pleasant, uh, maybe cookies or something. They're all attractive. They all go towards the aroma and the aesthetic beauty to be able to sell the house. That apart, I want you to know, one of the biggest industries that we have in it, yet swelling and growing, is the fragrance or the perfume industry. Whether you know it or not, they really spend millions and millions of dollars to be able to concord something they believe will bring attraction. You know, perfumes, like what you see and what you hear, can change situation, change moods. It could make you happy, it could make you sad, it could make you melancholy, it brings nostalgic memories into your hearts. In fact, smell and memories go together, they go hand in hand. And so, understand this, they wouldn't spend millions if they're not getting billions. So you have those perfume that bring delight to your soul because you have pleasant memories of the person you've been with or things that you think in terms of. A particular aroma of coffee will remind you, I know that thing, I know that special taste, I know the special smell. In fact, no coffee is alike, even though they come from the same company. By the time the restaurants bring it, they put that special stamp of aroma to that, that Latroc people, those who like dark and hot smelling, and basically that would be pungent smell, brings that people, those who like it light and not too, they attract that type of people. But nevertheless, coffee is coffee, you say, and yet distinguished by qualities of taste as much as qualities of aroma. The smell is important. And when you look into the Bible, you find a whole lot of things in the Old Testament to do with the aromas, the fragrance, the fragrance, and the smell, and the odors. And this is important. But what I want us to understand is when you come to the New Testament, it's a fulfillment of everything that you find in the Old Testament about fragrance, about the odor, about the smell. There was a reason for that, but when you come into the New Testament, you don't need to bring that concussion and to be able to have displayed of the incense and the, and the senses uh, that is meaningless today because the things in the past in the Old Testament have been fulfilled. But I want to say how important it is for us to realize that when you think in terms of fragrance, whether in the Old Testament or New Testament, the ultimate that we can think about is the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Father. That is what we read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. It's a sweet smelling. It is acceptable to God. It's an offering. In fact, the way it says is that we would walk in love as Christ, that we would imitate Him. He is the object he becomes the one we imitate. No one can be like him. It's very difficult. 
I don't, know, I don't know of anyone in the past, in the present, or yet to be in the future that has such awesomeness of that fragrance of the Lord Jesus. I'm not talking about fragrance in terms of the perfume or anything of that sort. I wonder if he even had that in those days. But you know, every generation has a certain term of what would be near fragrance that you could almost sense. You could go into a distant place, whether in the Middle East or Middle East or Africa or Asia or parts of uh, uh, very deep places in the in, um, Caribbean or in, in here in America, and it's distinctly, you can smell that you know it, I'm back home, the green, green grass of home. I don't know if you know the smell of a freshly cut grass. It has a peculiar smell. And again, a place where whether the bread or whether it is uh, something being roasted or ground, you know the smell. You know what it is to have a good smell, and you know what's a burnt smell as well. They all conjure and denote so much meaning that it becomes personal. It ties up to memory. You could be blindfolded and sent anywhere in the world. And if your mama was there in that kitchen, whether it be in the far continents of the world, you would know it's a different place, but you are at home. Not because of what you see, your eyes have been blindfolded, not because of what you hear, because you're, basically you can't hear anything. And yet the smell makes you feel your home. It could be Brazil. It could be all the way to the islands in the Caribbean. But you know it's mama's kitchen and you have this nostalgic memory. It's mama's favorite dish. Your tongue begins to water. Your smell and your taste bud begins to move. It reminds you. It brings a lot of memory. Fragrance is a very important word. But the Bible tells us in the passage we read that we should be imitators of this one. No one like Jesus. So loving, so forgiving, never said a vengeance. Unfortunately, the many people and religions that followed him have been the very poor example of this one who eschewed evil, loved people, broke down the barriers. He attracted people because of his goodness, and yet because of his goodness, he also attracted people that wanted to kill him. I will talk about that in just a moment. But when you think about the sweet-smelling savour, which is found in Ephesians 5 and verse 2, I want you to realize the next couple of verses, whether you turn to verse 3, it talks about sanctification. It talks about this smell, this fragrance is connected to our daily lives. And it talks about relationship in the home, relationship at work, all tied up to the fragrance that we would bring forth, the beautiful fragrance of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the stamp of approval of all that you could smell, see, hear, touch, taste in the Old Testament. He is the ultimate, the object, and the one that we imitate and that we follow. So I want to just say this, my friend, when you think in terms of uh, sweet-smelling savour, of fragrance, it is there in the Old Testament, we don't have time to run through it, but the first five books of the book of Leviticus talks about it. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. Five different types of offering, out of them three, are sweet-smelling Sabbath, the other two are not. There's an obvious reason. The first has to do with what would be burnt offering, chapter 1. It is a sweet-smelling salve fragrance to the Father, some chapter 1, 1 to 17. The second chapter is meal offering and the floor offering. It is simply a sweet-smelling salve to God. That's found in chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. And the third one is found in chapter 3, verses 1 to 17, and it is a different, it is called the peace offering. It is also a sweet-smelling savour unto the Lord. 
So three of the five offerings in the Old Testament, whether it be burned or whether it be meal or whether it be peace offering, they are considered sweet-smelling offering to the Lord. The last two is sin offering and that trespass offering. It cost Jesus his very life. It cost him pain. The father looked away, but it had to be for you, for me, for everyone in this world. If anything, it was not sweet, and yet it was a sweet in the sense of a sacrifice that he did for us. So we are told to imitate the one who's full of love that diffused such fragrance, a fragrance of love, a flower of mercy, a flower that brings the fragrance of forgiveness, grace, truth, integrity, honesty, and all of that you call the good virtues and the good things you can think about is personified in the Lord Jesus. I want us to realize when you go into this passage, there's a lot of things that I would want to, and I thought I would be able to finish three or four at least at the eight o'clock, so I didn't finish the second one. But let me just say where I'll be going in the next two weeks, God willing. In terms of the fragrance of our Lord, I'll be talking about one, the fragrance of Christ our Lord. That is to the Father, a sweet-smelling savour, a sweet-smelling fragrance, aroma to the Father in heaven. He smells it. You say a God who smells? Yes, a God who sees, a God who smells, a God who hears, a God who feels, and a God who can taste. But the first thing I want you to understand is I will be talking about as I begin today with the fragrance. That's the ultimate fragrance that is pleasing to the Father that we are told to imitate and bring forth. The second I will be talking about what would be, we're called to diffuse the fragrance of God, of Christ. We're called to diffuse the fragrance of Christ, the aroma of Christ, number one, to the Father. In everything we do, it would be sweet-smelling. A fragrance in which he's well-pleased. And everything we do is because in and through Christ. And that's what Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 says, the fragrance of Christ. For giving himself for us as an offering, and a, 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 a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. What I want you to understand is number point, number two, he's called us to be that sweet-smelling savour in Christ unto the Father, number one, and then unto everyone around us. Number three, what does that imply? And the third one goes into a stronger teaching to do with what would be the Old Testament that is found in the book of Exodus and also found in the book of Esther and then the application thereof the implication of how we can diffuse the sweet fragrance of our Lord. Number four is how flies can destroy the fragrance that we emit or diffuse. That is number four. Number five is how that fragrance can be Spoiled, can be destroyed, or totally ruined. Number six simply is God does not want dead flies in a living sacrifice that is offered to God that's a sweet smelling savour. Number eight is the sweet fragrance, the sweet aroma, and the spice in the life of a believer, in the life of a righteous person, in the life of a one who is a God-lover, Theophilus, in the life of a Christian that follows the Lord Jesus Christ in giving thanks to the Father and living out his life in that implicit obedience and surrender and love 
to the Father through Christ and by His sacrifice. So first let me say the fragrance. And we are talking about imitating the fragrance of Christ to God the Father. It's sweet smelling. And it is very important. What I like us to realize is the preciousness of life. Everything in our life and about our life is with something to do with a sweet-smelling savour unto the Lord, including the gifts, including what we give in terms of our service, including our worship, including our giving, and all sweet-smelling savour, aroma to the Father, which He is well-pleased because of Jesus. So when you turn to Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, you see Paul writing about Epaphroditus, who actually brings a gift from the church for him. And he describes this in these words. I'm full having received of Epaphroditus the things which you send from you, an order, a fragrance, an aroma of sweet smell, a sacrifice, accepted, well-pleasing to God the Father. Many people don't realize when you come to the Lord, you're not giving Him a tip. He owns everything, including our very life. Our time is owned by Him. We just carry a watch that tells us the hours of the day, but He owns the time. It's a gift and it is granted to us. He can remove it any day. He's given us strength to work. He's given us grace. And he's given us and bestowed us so much. He could remove it any day. But for everything that we receive of the Lord, there is an accounting day. We have to stand before God to give an account of all that he has given. And what did we do with it? Our Lord Jesus Christ spoke about it in terms of parables. And again, I want to remind you how important it is when you think in terms of the gifts. It is counted. It is a memorial to the Lord. I'll talk about it in a moment. Everything, including our very life itself, is supposed to be a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to the Lord in terms of service, in terms of worship. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, listen to what the Paul says, I beseech you by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies not as a dead sacrifice like the Old Testament. There is no blood sacrifice in the church. No church at all. The old religions would, but not Christian faith. Because that has been fulfilled. There's no bloodletting among lambs or sheep or bull or goats. Christ was the ultimate sacrifice. And it's done. That is the highest form, and that is what was presented. And once it's done, it is over. It is finished, he said. So here he says, a living sacrifice which is wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable Service, or the Greek word also says worship. Our services and our worship, there's no secular and spiritual in the Christian term. Everything we do is a worship. So in case you think that you can cheat your work, you're cheating God. In case you think you're not doing what you are supposed to do, you're cheating God. Not man. And so also worship. It's synonymous. Worship, service, service, worship. It's a secular tied with spirituality, spirituality tied with, with the secular, secular activities. They are both combined unto God. What I want us to realize is how important we must realize the word fragrance that must be sweet smelling. Not only the gifts, not only our arms, not only our prayers, not only our life. A living sacrifice that should be holy that is worthy of God. If you're invited to meet the president and you were to go with a present, 
you wouldn't give the cheap. A cheap gift tells you how low esteem you have to the person you give. That's a donation of your estimation. But you go to see a king or to see a person who's prestigious and yet you go according to his worth. Even you give an 18 person, 15 person to a waiter, which is good. But when you come to God, you scratch your head and say, should I give or should I not give? You're not giving to man. When you think about the Old Testament, there was the temple, there was things that were done. Everything they gave in terms was unto God. The temple must go on. There is the things that takes place in the temple, whether it is the temple work or the work of the temple. Like today, we have the church work and the work of the church, the ministry work and the work of the ministry. Just a few people for the church work, but that makes it possible for the work of the church. Just a few people for the ministry work, but that makes it possible for the work of the ministry. So whether some people are full-time or part-time in this, in doing this, it is all added to, and somebody has to pay them. They had in the Old Testament fires and lights and so forth and so many things that have been done. And in the payrolls were the Levites, the priests, the Korites, and so many other people and the sacrifices. Somebody had to pay for it, but it was not to them. It was to the Lord. And God says, sweet-smelling Sabbath. And your gift is worthy. It's not a tip. It is something worthy of the one, His Majesty. And we need to carefully look into that. I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians, especially in the charismatic movement, that give because they are moved by what they heard here. People have itching ears and people can promise them the stars and all they do is buy an aeroplane or buy the Bentley or buy this or buy that and walking away in style, not doing what God tells them to do. And there are others who are moved by emotion, sob stories telling them how desperate your money is needed or they would go down and flung. In all the years we've been here, we've never sent a letter asking, begging. We just appeal to your spirit, not to itching years, to take you to a place where it's a sob story and move you by some demagoguery. We don't do that. If you know the Lord, you can sense. You don't need to be moved by people, but moved by the Spirit because you are part of this body, part of the expression of the Lord's body in this local church, and it's your responsibility to be able to say, I'm going to stand with it and support for it. So just as in the Old Testament, you have in the New Testament, and much, much more, much, much more is your prayer, is your praise. Is your very lifestyle, is your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to the God and to God? A sweet-smelling savour. You mean to say God smells? Yes, He does. Just as He sees. In fact, in Genesis chapter six, you find the incident of how the things that people did, the ungodliness, the way of life was a stench in the nostrils of God, and he could take it no more. And he said, the end of all flesh has come. And so came the great deluge, the flood. Next time it's not the flood, it is the fire. Our great-grandfathers laughed and said, you mean to say God is going to set matchbox fire all over the world? The world is big for a matchstick. No, my friend, there exists one bomb in many nations, just one, far greater devastation than Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It could send the entire world into a flame of fire. The elements would burn, Peter tells us in his letter. So it's no mere joke. God knew what he was saying the next time the fire. But the deluge of flood was because of the stench. And if it was bad then, it's getting worse. And beware of those last days before the end of this world. Noah preached. Nobody paid attention to him. 
until it was just too late. But I want you to understand it was in the nostril of God, an imagery of his nose, an imagery of his eyes, and yet it was a stench, foul. The end of all flesh has come, he said, and the flood was sent. But there was just eight righteous people. I wonder what happened. Did people not hear Noah preaching day in and day out? Were they not affected by the visual of a boat? They had never seen water. They had never seen a ship like this. It was show and tell. People were not interested. There's no reason today why people should not. It's not only being seen here physically, but across the world, something like 30,000 or more at one time, a million people used to watch this program. More people outside than that are in-house. There's no excuse. But I want you to understand this, my friend. The moment Noah and his family came out, the first thing they did was they sacrificed unto the Lord. That's found in chapter 8 and verse 20. But verse 21 tells you a reaction of God to an action that Noah did. If I read this, and the Lord smelled a sweet savour, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. There was a reaction, and the Bible says God smelled not a foul stench, but a sweet savour fragrance. What does God smell? In the fragrance of your life, in your prayers, in your praise, at your work, in your almsgiving, and in your giving. What does he smell? It's foul, a stench, stinginess. Or is it a sweet-smelling savour unto the Lord? It was a sweet-smelling savour unto the Lord. Whether you take Noah, whether you take Abraham, whether you take Isaac, whether you take Jacob, and the 12 sons, they were patriarchs that had learned to build an ark and to be able to bring an incense, an offering unto the Lord. It was like a sweet-smelling offering to the Lord, whether it was burned or whether it was piecemeal or whether it was in terms of, uh, of wheat offering. They were sweet-smelling savour unto the Lord. What I want you to understand, when the Old Testament, you find a composition of what would be a compound, of what you would be a perfume, peculiarly and particularly only meant in the inner or in the sanctuary. It could not be traded. It could not be exchanged. It could not be counterfeited. It could not be manip um, manipulated. In other words, the spirit of God cannot be manipulated. It cannot be imitated. There's a lot of imitators running around and doing a whole show, whether they see praise or offering or healing. It is flesh, flesh, flesh. As all the sightings of everything that is spiritual, a lot of the worship that you see outdoor with that flashiness and the gilded, in fact, people going down to the what would be the Hollywood Ball or what would be the big uh, Grammy Awards coming to praise the Lord, it's nothing but filth. Nothing but filth. You could say we sang God, yes, they were dancing to the demons of that day, of this day. And why take the pearls and put it into the mouth of swines? I want you to know that things of God are holy and precious. And the worship of God is unto God, not an entertainment, not an entertainment, not an entertainment. The prayers is not an entertainment or to show off. It is unto the Lord. And we need to realize it is so important. Evangelism is to the people and towards the people. Why? Because the ultimate reason for evangelism is worship. And the reason 
For evangelism is people need to go back into what we were made to be to worship God. And this is to bring them back in the only way to approach the Father. The only way to approach God is because of the blood shed. And go preach the good news. You are not far away from the goodness and the grace of God. Because of the sweet-smelling sacrifice of the Lord. I want you to understand the ultimate is praise. And when you go to heaven, there is no evangelism. There is no preaching. Preaching, evangelism is towards man to bring them to the ultimate incense of worship. But in heaven, there is no preaching. There is no teaching. There is no evangelism. It is purest sense praise. But there is also a rulership, ultimately the praise of God. So when you turn to the books of the Old Testament, you have this concussion. Pure and special and holy and cannot be and should not be imitated. It is purely unto God. And in a way that God wanted. In fact, when you turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 29 and verse 18, this is what God commanded. And thou shalt burn the whole ram upon the altar. It is a burnt offering unto the Lord. It is a sweet-smelling savour, an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Then he begins to tell us a whole chapter from actually from 25 all the way down to 40 about the temple. And the articles in the temple, do you know among the many articles in the temple was a thing called the censer or the box of incense. And the way this goes about, it begins in chapter 30 and verse 1. Thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon, of shittim wood shalt thou make it. <clears throat> He goes on to say in verse 2, a cubit shall be the length and cubit shall be, and then in verse 6 he goes on to say, and thou shalt put it before the veil, that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat, that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. There's the ark of mercy. There's also what would be the the Ark of the Testimony and the Mercy Seat, we're not talking about, is the ultimate we're talking about in heaven. I'll talk to that in just a moment in the book of Revelation. But there in Jerusalem, you find it began with the, with the tabernacle of Moses and then, Saul, then David and then Solomon, the temple of Herod, ultimately. It contained the holiest place. But before you enter, there must be the incense, there must be the prayers, there must be the praise. It centers on God. It's a consciousness of that sweet smell that reminds you. And every time you enter into that place, you could smell even outside. It is the presence of the Lord. This is the stamp of the Lord. Just like coffee, you can sit down and say, ah, that's McDonald's. Or this is this particular coffee, or this is my mixture of coffee. I want you to realize this brings you to a sense of where that place is. It's a holy place. So there was this awesome ark of testimony. There was the mercy seat. And then it was a veil that was basically of incense. And God says, I will meet you there. Verse 7. And Aaron shall burn there in sweet incense every morning. <clears throat> and later on it says every evening when he dressed the lambs, he shall burn incense on this. On this altar called altar of incense. When you turn to verse 8, and when Aaron lighted the lambs in the evening. He shall burn incense upon it as a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generation. Now look what nine, verse 9 says. 
You shall offer no strange incense therein, nor burnt offerings, nor meal offerings. Neither shall you pour drink offering therein. You can't put imitation. You cannot mix flesh with the spirit. You cannot mix 666 with 777. How many times have we seen it in modern day? Everything they say is the spirit doing its man, man manipulation. Just to get them moving into getting money. Just to get them something that they wanted. Such selfishness. Nothing to do with the spirit of God. In fact, they abuse the things of God. And yet you find, as you go down into verse 31, And thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil unto me throughout your generation. He gives them the concussion. And he says, Upon man's flesh it shall not be poured, neither shall you make any other like it after the composition of it. It is holy. It shall be holy unto you. That is a fragrance that is unto God. It is for God. It is meant totally for God. Everything that we do in prayers and praise is not a show. It is not an entertainment. It shouldn't be. I want you to understand it is something that is holy unto the Lord. I know culture and nationalities bent it and make it their own style. And some people want to imitate great singers of the past or the way they do things. Just be yourself. Give, your, give yourself as a living sacrifice and make it holy unto the Lord. Don't have to imitate and use 18th century in a language that, that some people in the past have used. Just make, just be yourself. And goes on to say, Whosoever compounded, verse 33, anything like it, whosoever put it, any of it upon a stranger shall be cut off. Verse 34, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take these sweet spices, stack, and onica, and the galbanum, these sweet spices with pure frankincense, and each shall there be a wedge. There's a difference. All of this speaks about the Lord Jesus. I'll talk about it. And then goes on to say in verse 35, And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together with pure. It is a perfume, it is pure, and it is holy. So when we go through this, we realize it is awesome, it is majestic, and what you find is the ultimate in the Songs of Solomon, just like in the book of uh, the Exodus, is talking about real. It is what is tangible. When you go to the Songs of Solomon, it is really a love, and yet it denotes a love of God and a Theophilus, a person who loves God. It's a relationship, an intimacy between God and his man or his woman that knows that sweet perfume, that knows the heart of God. What I like is we read about it much later when, it, when we come to that what does it imply, meaning that we are called to be fragrance in number three. We're not even finished number two. But what it denotes in Songs of Solomon chapter one and verse 12, listen to these words. When the king sits at his table or when he's on his throne, my spinkinard, my fragrance, the aroma, sends forth the smell thereof. It is tantamount to be able to say that before you enter, the high priest enters the holiest of holies. Even before he goes to sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat, there is the aura of the incense rising. It's a mystery you don't see. And yet you in a translucent, opaque way, you see through, but not perfectly, talking about seeing the majestic of God vaguely, and yet one day our own eyes shall see him seated on the throne. But what you find is before you even touch the holiest of holiest, there must be incense rising up in praise, in worship. It is not a performance. In your personal devotion, it is unto God. It's purely unto God. And so then he says here, it is this love relationship. 
The king is seated at the table. He's seated there on his throne, so to speak. He's the one that my heart loves the most. And I open my sprinkling and my aroma reaches out with that smell, that incense, that fragrance to him. It is, he is being attracted. He can smell the fragrance of worship, the fragrance of prayer, the fragrance of a life that is ordered and surrendered unto God. A life that gives arms, a life that gives God for the kingdom of God. They have become as sweet smelling. I have put that sprinkling out before the Lord. It is going towards sin. That is the purest songs of Solomon, a love relationship. When you go again to this chapter, chapter 3 and verse 6, listen carefully what the songs of Solomon says. Who is that comes out of the wilderness like a pillar of smoke that you find in the Exodus coming, God coming and displays in the, in the pillar of smoke? Perfumed with myrrh and frankincense and all the powders of the merchant. I will talk about the Lord Jesus and these compositions of myrrh and frankincense and the powders that remind us of the attributes and the qualities and the characteristics of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, by him, we approach our Father in giving praise because he and because of his ultimate sacrifice is a sweet-smelling savour to God. You know, when you look in terms of the past, we looked at the Old Testament. We don't bring those altar of censor or incense into the holy place because that is fulfilled. We don't need that. We don't need to go because it is important at that dispensation or that period of time. But once everything is done and then the veil has been torn and we have access to the Father, the throne room of grace and mercy because of what Jesus Christ our Lord did, we can go to God Almighty and say, Abba, Father. And the Spirit of God, the anointing of the sweet fragrance of God within us comes and deep down there's a groan that says, Abba, Father. And there's a relationship, a lovely relationship of a father, a son, a father, a daughter. What I like you to know, not only the fact it is then and then what is now, very different, but it is such a beautiful picture displayed if you were to look at a futuristic odyssey in heaven. What is it going to be? Is the word incense mentioned in, in the future? Yes, it does. Does any fragrance to do with the future? Yes, it does. When you turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 5 and verse 8, listen to this. When, that is the Lord Jesus the Lamb, had taken the book, the four beasts, the unique creatures that are around the throne room of God Almighty, and the 24 elders, most likely the 12 of the patriarchs of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament, they each one carry a harp denoting praise. And they carry a veil full of frag, frag, fragrance, aroma, which are the prayers of the saints. Which are the prayers of the saints. I talk about ultimate praise, but the prayers in heaven find its way as incense rising up before God. We're talking about this incense. In a way in which it is praise, it is a prayer before the Lamb of God. And then again, when you turn to Revelation chapter 8 and read verse 3 and verse 4, and another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. Hold it. This is not the temple in Jerusalem. Everything in the temple at its day. But when Jesus offered... His blood, it was not at the mercy seat in heaven made by hands. 
It was in the ultimate temple on that mercy. Touch me not, Mary. I must ascend to the Father. He had to press in the blood. And there is a holy censer, not what you find in the Old Testament. This is the ultimate holy censer. And there was given unto him much incense. We're talking about heaven. We're talking about Revelation chapter 4. He went up and he's in heaven. That he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Fragrance. Aroma. In heaven. Even right now. It is so powerful. It is so moving. I want you to understand. As I come to point number two. We are called. To diffuse that sweet fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 to the Father and then to the world around us. What exactly did Jesus do? It says and walk in love be his imitator even as he is he's given himself for us as an offering as sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling savour. Let us imitate him and let us follow him and understand that he's the ultimate the perfect, no one like our Lord, no one like Him. He's a sweet-smelling sigh of fragrance to the Father. Every time we speak the name of Jesus, there's a sweet smell of fragrance to the Father. So when Paul is writing about it, he uses what would be an illustration or what would be a, an example of the then time of the Romans. How in the time of victory, the Roman captain or whoever it is that led the Roman legions to victory would be matched past, and then those who are his lieutenants behind him, and then all the way the army and the way in the back were the captives. But in between, as he goes forward, there is something remarkable. It is the general's favorite fragrance. So as he matches forward, you can smell that perfume. It is that favorite perfume of that general. He has them basically have as incense, is the victory. And when he marches through the city in Rome, the Roman citizens would smell, and it was good news. But for those, if he marched through an area that is defeated, the smell diffuses a bad news. It's one smell has two reactions. How could that be? They say a rose by any, by any other name smells the same, true. But it smells differently. If you were to smell these beautiful flowers, your heart is feeling joy, nostalgic memories of good times. Someone gave you that flower. You were reminded of that perfume, that smell. It's crushed of many roses and you remind that that's the one. That flowers remind me of that, that fragrance. But to someone else, it is to say a nostalgic sadness. It was just last week I buried my mom. That smell reminds me of death. That one flower, a bouquet of flowers, or a whole lot of flowers, to one joy, nostalgic joy, to the other sorrow, nostalgic sorrow. So when you read 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, listen carefully to what Paul is saying. Now thanks be to God, which causes us to triumph in Christ. 
and make it manifest the fragrance of his knowledge by us in every place. That is, the fragrance of Christ and the knowledge of Christ or by us in every place. That number one, we diffuse that fragrance as we stand before God. That is as a priest before God, worshipping and then bringing needs to people. Then when we leave, we take the message of God and diffuse to others. It is evangelism. Telling others of God's love, God's mercy and the impending dangers if they do not listen. Unto God, worship and praise, bringing praises, not only on our behalf, but on behalf of so many others, and say, Father, thank you. Even for people who do not know the Lord, even as you bring the many places that you have no connection with right now in Turkey and Syria. And as you say, Lord, thank you for sparing many lives, many could have, but then pray for those that have been affected. It is before God, and then coming out, we take a message from God to the people. It is a buffet, it is a bouquet, it is a fragrance. The Father accepts it, people will accept, or people will reject. But you and I have to do what we are told to do. Give the message of the Lord. Leave the results to the Lord. Now when you read verse 14, I want you to listen to what it says. For we are unto God. Number one, it is unto God. First by us to the knowledge, to others. But we are unto God a sweet smelling savour of Christ. In them that are saved. In them which perish. It doesn't matter whether they accept or whether they reject. I don't feel the need to hear this message. You have no feeling. You have to accept them all. What they do with that fragrance or with that order, depending on them, that's not up to you. But you are stewards. You are people that give and let the smell go forth. The message of the Lord. The grace of God, the love of God, the peace of God, the great good news of the Lord. In verse 16, to reaction, to one, we are savour of death unto death, and to the other, the savour unto life. But who is sufficient for these things? Only God can. And we have to do what we are told to do. So we have the savour of God, of Christ unto God, our Father. And we have the savour of the fragrance or the aroma of Christ unto people around us for God. The way to God is open for all. Jesus Christ has paid the ultimate price. And so this is important. We understand this. I want us to realise something very important that we give ourselves wholly, completely. Let me ask us to turn again to Romans chapter 12, but this time reading verse 1 and verse 2. I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable work, service, and worship. And then in verse 2 it says, and be not confirmed to this world. And whatever we do, don't imitate the style of this world. A fragrance that should not be compromised with the standards of this world. Of course, centuries and times change, and we have to be on par with this. There's no use going back, going to the first century, and going by a horse and bullock carts. The methods will change, but we do not ape the styles of this world. We use everything that the world has for the glory of God. But the way we use it is not the way that Hollywood or others would use. And so says, but be transferred by your mindset, the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, what is acceptable, and the perfect will of God. That is why these senses have to be sharpened. In the natural, we sharpen 
our eyes, our ears, in the soul we sharpen our emotion, our intellect. We read, we try to get no, no, more knowledge in the spiritual too. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14, it's not in the notes I gave to them, but just I want you to realize, listen to what Paul is, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, but strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even to those by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Don't be deceived, not knowing the truth. The Word of God is the best that divides the soul and the spirit and what is of God, what is not of God, and what is of the, of the world and what is not of God. The Word is the yardstick. So when you come to this amazing passage, I want you to know the perfume is so powerful, so real, that... Here's a man that's actually not even Jewish in the New Testament. He's a proselyte. He could only stand outside in the Gentile court, not anywhere near. And yet, I want you to realize he was a pious man. He was a righteous man. I don't seem to hear much about those that were in the court, inside. But what I find is a man outside the scope, an alien to the commonwealth of Israel, and yet God heard. The fragrance reached to God. And I want you to listen carefully in as he prayed. He was Cornelius of the Italian band, a Roman centurion of this legion. But he was a man who believed God and he prayed and he praised God. Even though he couldn't get inside because of the structure, the limitations of that old time. But when you turn to, turn to Acts chapter 10 and verse 4, listen carefully to what the angel says. As he was praying, and when he looked up, he was afraid because earlier it says the angel of the Lord came and said, what is it, Lord? And the angel said unto him, thy prayers and thine arms have come up for a memorial before God. In other words, what he was doing outside the court even outside of what would be the holiest of holiest where only the holy priests, the high priest could enter. He was right outside, even out the middle one. Outside the outer court, it is in a court called the courts of the Gentile, the outer court. And he comes home, a Gentile. It is the quality that matters. And his prayers are like fragrance. And that which he gives is like a savour, sweet smelling. And there is a response or a reaction to an action which he did. God on his holy throne sees as incense coming up his prayers and his giving. And the Lord said, it is a memorial. This is a memorial. Halt it. Go and tell him. An angel was dispatched to tell him. And the same angel, the Holy Spirit, speaks to Peter. Memorial to God. Just before the band comes, I want to just say this, my friend. We all love food, we taste food, we smell food. It is important. Those are natural. Uh, these are five senses. They're important. You use your eyes to drive, ears to hear. You have smell, you have taste, you have touch. But when you go into the spiritual aspect, this is very different. What you find is Martha cumbered about with guests. She was making Jesus a meal, and everybody needs that. And the Lord Jesus was in the house in Bethany in Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' home. It was like a second home for him. In fact, he stopped there just before going to the cross. It was something that he could be casual and know this is a home. And they loved him. And they gave him what he loved. And Martha complained and said, Lord, please ask Mary to help me. I'm cumbered about with so much. And the Lord said, Martha, Martha. There's one thing you lack. 
This is important what you're doing, but compared with spiritual, what Mary is doing, sitting at the feet and listening, that is what you lack. They, you cannot compare secular with spiritual, even though both are equal. This is ultimate. But much later, you see Mary doing something. It was a memorial to the Lord. And Jesus said, as long as it shall be written, it will be as a reminder, as a memorial. What did she do? You can read that in John chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. But let's go to 3 for lack of time. It says here, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spinkenard, very costly. You have to actually break your bank account. Not one year, break your bank account to buy this costly spinkenard. And she anointed the feet of the Lord Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, the ultimate form of worship. For a man like Judas, he's thinking about money. But in the heart of Mary, nothing is too expensive for my Lord. Nothing is too costly. Remember one man? When the man said, here, take this land, it's free, you're the king. He said, I will not take something which costs me nothing. Give me the price. I want to pay the full price. I'm not going to be cheapo when it comes to God. This is not to my son, it is to God, the full price. And here, the Bible says, and the house was filled with the fragrance of ointment. To reaction. Some people, what a waste. Others say, my God, she loves the Lord. If only I could love the way she does. Lift up your hands and say, Lord, may my offering, may my praise, may my prayers and my life be a sweet-smelling sour like Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.